We are back in the saddle. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. We are here to give you episode five in season two of The Witcher today. Uh, it's been we have finally gotten past the halfway point, right? There's eight episodes in season two here, and it's been a great ride so far. And we're about to kind of take it up a notch to kind of see where certain peaks of climax are reaching. And I'm really excited to dive into this episode today. Uh, I know that mainly we focus on on audio at this point in time, but I thought it was pretty cool over here. I'm looking at Chase's uh, his visuals on his desk there in his studio, and I see he's got like a big ass broadsword sitting there. I know he's posted some pictures with it on social media, but thing looks dope, man. So uh, I don't know if you guys had a chance to check that out. If not, go ahead and take a look at it. But uh, thing looks pretty damn cool. Outside of that, you know, what we'll go ahead and do is, uh, before we get started into the episode, I'll be the one taking us through episode 5. I'll give a quick recap of episode 4. It's just kind of, you know, if you're just joining us now, today for the first time, you have an idea of kind of where we're picking up from. But before that, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase so he can say hey, and then we'll get rolling. Yeah, man. Uh, Yeah, you saw this big-ass broadsword on my end. I actually got this when I was in, like, the fifth grade. I was uh, pretty obsessed with... uh, (laughs) <laughs> a big series we're going to cover eventually at this time <laughs> coming up pretty soon hint hint well you'll find out about that in a few weeks from now a little bit more than a few weeks but um yeah pretty cool it's actually on each side you can kind of see it has uh not just like different writing but you can see each of the uh, sculptures on it is different so one side has like a broadsword through a head the other side has a broadsword through a demon skull and uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I found it. Do you remember those as seen on TV stores <laughs> back in the day? Yeah, man. I found it there, like on the shelf for like 50 bucks. So, <laughs> yeah, but good times. But then, you know, next to me, just like uh, a couple weeks ago, so I got the Monster Handbook of Monsters, and then we got Blood of Elves, which is really cool because the next two episodes, I actually compared a little bit of it in the book. It does come straight out of the book, which I still got to read the series. But from what I've seen, it uh, apparently this uh, Netflix show has stayed pretty close. But yeah, man, let's get it started. I'm going to let Jay Nelly kick us off today. He's taking us through the recap. Uh, Stoked, man. We're on this uh, backside of uh, season two of The Witcher, and it, it, it definitely takes some interesting twists and turns, I would say. For sure. So let me go ahead and, and without uh, further ado, we got a little cheers going here before we get started. Raise the glasses up, tip it on back, because we're getting into this thing. Malice in the chalice, man. Yes, sir. All right, to kind of give a quick, quick recap of episode four to kind of give you guys an idea where we left off at. In episode four, we had uh, Triss kind of make her way to Kay Morin. Uh, Geralt brought her there, so that way she could kind of assist Cirillo and maybe with harnessing some magic and... You know, it doesn't kind of work out the way that he anticipated. You know, we also kind of see what's going on over in Redania. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with the elves, you know, getting kind of rounded up similar to like in tournament camps and getting taken away, uh, like almost like in, in shackles as they're being enslaved. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad to see. You know, we go, um, we, we follow this new guy this new mage called Dijkstra a little bit he's got this weird owl that you know we don't find out too much about it in this episode but we will later on throughout the rest of the season and he's going to play a big role too because basically they're looking to kind of make a play where Dania is for Sintra and 
you know, they we kind of learn a little bit too about how Cirilla has these monsters coming after her, and it has a lot to do with the monoliths. And we're gonna kind of get and I, something kind of crazy happens in this episode of the monolith that we're gonna get into. But to kind of continue on with that, we we get a reappearance of our boy Jaskier, the the bard. I'm gonna chase his favorite guys over there. <laughs> That's uh, my boy, man. That's my boy. <laughs> And then Geralt can burn for all I care. <laughs> burn, but you burn. Back to Jane Ellie. Yeah, man. And then uh, we kind of have Yennefer and Yaskier kind of get reunited, knighted a little bit. She's happy to see him. It was funny because they didn't leave off in great terms in season one, but she's lost her magic at this point in time. And so she's kind of like very, you know, sympathetic or is a sympathetic figure in a way. And she's getting any sort of positive attention that she can. So she's happy to see an old friendly face in, in Yaskier, even though he's not exactly excited to see her. But he's a little bit nice uh, about it. And so uh, he kind of helps. What, what uh, Yaskier does is he's been doing, he's been helping kind of smuggle the elves out to get them to safety in Sintra. Uh, they, like, right he's taking them out of Oxenfurt and putting them on that little boat there. And how it kind of ends up, though, unfortunately, is that uh, in the middle of, of him putting the elves on the boat and getting them to safety he goes back up to the top and we kind of hear him get like hit in like a yell and we see like that that broken loot or whatever and you know he's we find out that you know he's something's bad happened to him we're going to kind of figure out what kind of happens there in just a minute but then uh also one of the biggest things that i wanted to end off on even though it's not really like chronologically how it happened but the biggest thing that we find out in episode four is that Cirilla's blood has elder blood in it because the Fennywed flowers that were blooming anywhere she spilt blood, and we learn that that is actually supposed to be like a key ingredient into the mutagen that creates new witchers, and that's a big thing going forward. So that's just a quick little recap of episode four. To kind of jump in here to episode five, the episode opens with like a hooded figure walking and having a gate open for her. She like kind of walks down and what seems like dungeons underground in a way. And she approaches where a prisoner is being kept. And we learn that the woman's name is Lydia. And some dialogue between Lydia and this prisoner that's being held in the cell. Lydia says, if there's one thing in this hellish world I cannot abide, it is wasted talent. Ten years in this demeridium shit den over a petty debt to the Cintron crown, for a mage of your ability, it's criminal. And we learn this guy that she's speaking to, his name is Rience. And he says, what do you want, Lydia? Lydia responds, don't be so sour, Rience. You must shoulder some of the blame for your current situation. Only a fool would cross Calanthe without covering his tracks. May she rot in peace. <laughs> and Rience says, Calanthe is dead. And Lydia responds, as a desert spring, not that it helps you much. Your conviction lives on, but perhaps we can find a remedy. And she holds up a key to his cell. And she continues on, There is a girl, a little lost cub. My sources tell me she was last seen at a market on the outskirts of Sodden. For now, only the white flame is hunting her. But when others learn of her, they'll hunt too, and we must get to her first. And we're willing to, say, put another iron in the fire to ensure it. And Rience replies, my freedom in exchange for being the White Flame's bounty hunter? I have no interest in owing a favor to Nilfgaard's false god. To which Lydia says, How fortunate, then, for both of us that I'm not working for Nilfgaard. 
And so now the scene, the, like the scene doesn't cut, it like shifts, and it shifts to Rien's now free, and he's like shaving himself, cleaning himself up for the first time in ten years. He's putting that like mage's ring back on his finger. You know, it looks like brand new person basically after being, you know, kept in that del cell dungeon for ten years. So from there, now the scene does cut over to Yaskier, and he's singing his new famous song at a tavern, and Rien's is there watching him from obscure part of the tavern. And when this is kind of almost like a if you guys ever watch Lion King one and a half, it shows like stuff that we've already seen, but like now from a new perspective. So we've, like that him singing the the burn butcher burn song, that was already something that had happened in a previous episode. But now we're seeing it from Rienz's perspective because remember in the last episode, Yeskier got you know attacked and taken by somebody, right? And so from there, the scene cuts over to Istrid, and Istrid. Uh, it starts off with some dialogue speaking to Fringilla. Uh, he says, boats are no longer safe for Ellie. He's not speaking to Fringilla. He's like kind of like annoyed by Fringilla's askings, and he's speaking to himself. He says, boats are no longer safe for elves, says Fringilla. Now we need a new lander out to Sintra, says Fringilla. Well, the Yoruga is flooded and unpassable. Fultis had fortified the bruge beyond recognition. Brocklin, no. And he takes a quick look at like a statue bust of someone's probably famous whoever that might be and hopefully we'll find out who that is later but he says either point me to something useful or kindly piss off like i said he was kind of talking to himself but he was you know kind of spitting his animosity in the direction of this weird statue head that's just sitting there and this is kind of where the last episode left off because it's this moment when Geralt is portaled to him but as soon as he gets portaled to him and he kind of puts that barrier between it the scene then cuts over to yennefer and she is looking for Yaskir at the end of last episode when he was attacked and kidnapped. So we see the guard stringing up the elf that, remember last episode, guys, he said, fuck the north in order to give all the rest of the elves the distraction they needed to get on board. They're now, like, stringing him up. And I don't know if he's, like, dead or if he's just really, like, incapacitated and all bloody and stuff. But it doesn't look good for that elf, anyways. Uh, the boat guard screams out last call for the boat before it departs. And, again, this is where all the elf refugees are smuggled at the moment. So, Yennefer looks as if she's going to go back to the boat, leaving Yaskier to whatever fate awaits him. And, speaking of Yaskier, the scene kind of shifts to him at this point in time, and he's tied up. And Yaskier says, some dialogue here, he says, Oh, ow, uh, hello? Is anyone there? And we kind of hear a little snapping of the fingers, and, you know, I just, maybe I should have kind of started with that in the very beginning, that this Rience guy... When he was in the cell dungeon, all he kept doing was snapping his fingers nonstop. Uh, but we got to figure out why he was snapping his fingers nonstop here in just a second. But uh, we see him kind of approach, and Yaskier, you know, speaks out to him. He says, "Well, that's unsettling. Uh, look, I don't have any money. I am but a humble bard. Or, or if this is about your wife, your mistress, or niece, then I, I can promise you that it wasn't me. I never met them. You've got the wrong man." Uh, look, if you're just a really big fan, then please note that I'm not willing to discuss the subjects in my work, its inspiration or characters, fictitious or otherwise. So why don't you just show yourself and we can have a nice chat and you can tell me what you want from me. And that's when we see Rienz get right up into Yaskier's face and he snaps again. And then we learn that the fire was coming from his fingertip and that's why he kept snapping. So we learn he's some sort of fire mage and remember that's kind of against the rules of a... The, 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 the Brotherhood Council, that, you know, the, the, the chaos rules, becoming one with fire is, that, that's kind of what happened to Yennefer when she helped the Battle of Sodden back in Season 1 and, you know, saved Sodden from Nilfgaard. 
But that's like a big no-no for the mages. And so this guy, he's using fire magic like at leisure. Like he's just snapping his finger like a lighter that you were going to light like a cigar with. And it's just coming out of his fingertip. And so he puts it like inches from Yaskier's face. And Yaskier screams like, fucking, fucking. And Rian says, shh, hello, Yaskier. And that's when the title sequence hits. And after the title sequence hits, the scene cuts back to Eastred and Geralt. And this is kind of continuing on from the conversation at the beginning, uh, uh, or I should say the end of last episode, the beginning of this you know, the conversation between Eastred and Geralt themselves. He says, uh, I said, who the fuck are you? And Geralt, he says, I heard, I heard. My name is Geralt of Rivia. I apologize for the erupted intrusion. Time was of the essence. Triss Marigold sent me to you. I need your help. And Istrid tells him, you're a witcher. And Geralt responds, and you're a monolith expert. Do you know of the Stellasite Tower just outside of the city? Istrid says, yes, I know it. I know it's one of the oldest in existence. Geralt responds, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It fell during the slaughter of Sintra. And now new subspecies of monsters are coming out of it. My theory is that they were nesting in the subterranean structure for years which might explain the unique mutations. And Istrid's kind of like confused, and he's like, uh, tell Triss that uh, I don't understand the prank, but points for imagination, and they say witches are humorless bastards. All respect, Mr. Mr. Rivia. I'm trying to help elves find refuge here. Do you have any idea how completely fucking insane you sound? And that's when Geralt goes to his rucksack and pulls out the head of the myriapod from episode 3, and drops it in front of Istrid. And he says, Will you help me or not? And that's when the scene cuts to his city, where like a few brothel ladies are trying to entice the men walking around, and Yennefer walks up to one and, and says, How would you like to make some money on your feet instead of your back? And the other woman replies, Hmm, aren't you a pretty thing? I could be convinced. A twisted mermaid. Cost you extra, though. My knees aren't what they once was. Yennefer says, uh, my friend, he's missing. I fear he may have gotten into some trouble with one of the guards now at the dock, and I need you to go to the garrison and see if any little shitbirds under the name of Yaskir have been caged. And the other woman responds, oh, you're going to go through all that trouble paying someone for such a simple task. And Yennefer hands her a coin and says, half now, half when you return. And the other woman replies back, well then, never looked a gift whore in the mouth. I'll be seeing you. <laughs> then so Yennefer left with the boat. So Yennefer never left with the boat after all. So it looked like she was going to turn back, you know, a couple scenes ago and go back with the elves on there. But she decided to stick around for Yaskir, which is kind of a fateful decision on her part. And so the scene goes back to Geralt and Istrid, though, at this point, And Geralt asks him, uh, why don't you tell me more about this monolith? And Istrid responds, well, I can tell you it's indestructible. They all are. So how can your mysterious monsters be nesting inside a solid structure? How can you be sure it's this one? And Gale says, because this is the only one that shattered. Istrid tries to tell him, the sheer force it would require, what could possibly do that? And to which Gale says, well, you're the expert, why don't you tell me? And they go off the main road towards the monolith's location. And they continue that conversation, and Istrid says, you know, I've never actually seen this one. Calanthe didn't allow access. And Gale says, and Nilfgaard did? Mistra says, what are you saying? Geralt asks, well, you only came here to study monoliths. And Istra responds, no, I came here to help the elves. And Geralt says, you want to help the elves by joining a kingdom that regularly massacres whole villages? On the sur surface of it, there seems to be a bit of a conflict there. 
Hanstra says, I suppose you only believe in helping the vulnerable if there's coin in it. Which Geralt responds, everyone has an agenda, even the helpful few, like yourself. Then a few guards on horseback ride up and yell at Istrid and Geralt to get back on the main road. Istrid tells him that he's an official researcher for Frangilla Vigo, to which the guard says he doesn't give a shit, and that Istrid and Geralt are trespassing on Guardian land. The guards become a little bit unreasonable, so Geralt and Istrid knock them unconscious. And so then the scene cuts back to Kay Morin, where Cyrilla is continuing her training. Triss approaches and tells Cyrilla that she's been looking for her, and kind of starts with this dialogue here where Triss says, Given up on magic lessons already? And Cyrilla says, Geralt said, when you know how to fight something, it becomes less threatening. And Triss asks, do you even know what you're fighting? Come inside, and let's do something that will actually challenge you. And Cyrilla tells her she'll be in soon and continues hacking at the straw dummy. And that's when Vesemir kind of approaches Trish and says, are we going to talk about this? And Triss replies, there's nothing to talk about. Vesemir says, the hell there isn't. A Sintrin princess with elder blood. Triss says, legends aren't science. We don't know that elder blood can make Witcher mutagen. We don't even really know what it is. Vesemir replies, I watched my men die, waiting for the final blow to destroy us. But now Ciri is here, and you arrived too. It can't be a coincidence. Triss says, she is a living, breathing girl, not some tool for you to use when you're desperate. Vesemir replies, I'm not desperate. I'm hopeful. For the first time in a long time. You, me, and Ciri, we have the chance to do something extraordinary. And Triss says, I like you better when you're a cynical old codger. If we do this, it's because she wants to. She gets to decide. And the scene cuts over to Yennefer. And the guards are taking an elven daughter away from her mother. And Yennefer tries to conjure a spell to help from a distance, but she fails, so she's still unable to do magic. The old woman's voice pops in Yennefer's head, talking about that like weird witchy thing that happened from like the second or third episode in this season two here. And it's really important because this is going to be some somebody that plays a big role going forward throughout the remainder of the season. But uh, the old woman's vo voice pops in Yennefer's head, telling her that to regain her power, all she has to do is ask. And Yennefer at this point refuses. So then the brothel lady returns and tells Yennefer there was no one by the name of Yaskir being kept prisoner by the guards. So Yennefer pays them the rest of the money she promised, and the brothel lady gives Yennefer an idea. And she says, Frequent any taverns? From my experience, when I lose a man, he's usually back at the first place I found him. And that gave Yennefer like a little light bulb went off in her head. So from there, the, sheen, the scene shifts to Rienz and Yaskir. And Yaskir has been getting beaten because his lip is bloody. And here's some dialogue between them. Rienz says, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting this. You're so tight-lipped about your old friend the Witcher. And Yaski replies, my lips are loose. You can ask anybody. Rience replies, shall we try a different technique? To which Yaski responds, yeah, you know, I was just thinking about this, and uh, I don't think it's your technique. I've not seen Geralt in months, not since he abandoned me in Kergorn, much like he abandoned his child surprise, who I met only once when she was still in the womb. I don't know where they are, I don't know where they're going, and I don't know why you're doing this to me. And Rian says, it's such a shame you can't be useful. See, people think chaos comes from nothing, but that's wrong. No, to draw it, you need a source. See, fire is a forbidden source because it usually consumes those that draw from it. Unless you're very talented, then the body can withstand it. But it consumes the soul. And he brings his flamed finger closer to Yaskir's hand, burning him. And Yaskir kind of cries out, please, I don't know anything. Rian says, no, no, no. 
the songs in your catalog would suggest otherwise. And Yaskir says, listen to me, please, please listen to me. I am a bard. I am brilliant. This is what I do. He grunts, I tell stories. He mentions the Witch's Keep. I turn it into a magical, mystical hideaway in the mountains. So please listen to me when I tell you this. He doesn't share details. He does not have friends. And he does not have weaknesses. And then, like, I just want to address the fact that Yaskir mentioned the Witcher's Keep and how that could be a foreshadow of where Rience may think to go next. And, you know, we know where Cyril is at this point in time. So, you know, this could be a little bit of a foreshadow here with that little sentence he was saying about, you know, when he turns little words into better, bigger things that maybe it might have given Rience an idea there. So, anyways, to continue on, Yennefer walks in and breaks the glass and stumbles around like she's drunk. And Yennefer is pretending to kind of be Yaskir's wife in this moment. And she says to Yaskir, I knew I'd find you here, you lazy lout, leaving me at home to rot. And Yaskir says, uh, this is my wife. Uh, she has nothing to, nothing to do with this. Please let her go. And Rance looks to Yennefer and says, if you know what's good for you, you'll leave now. And Yennefer, who, she, go, she goes up to Rance's lap and like semi-straddles him. And she, like, looks into his face, and again, she's pretending really drunk. She says, if you knew what's good for you, you'd shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then Rian says, <laughs> have it your way. And he stands up and grabs Yennefer, and Yaskir starts, like, pleading, no, no, please, don't hurt her, leave her alone. She's a nothing. And Rian throws Yennefer up against a pillar and lights his finger up with the flame and moves it towards her face. But with the alcohol on her breath... She blows the flame straight back into Rience's face. Yura has like an aerosol can and lit a lighter up, and it just flames out. That's kind of what she did with the alcohol and blowing the, the fire into Rience's face, and it burns him, and he falls to the floor. Yennefer grabs the Askir, and they're running off trying to escape. The scene then cuts back to Geralt and Istrid, and they come across the split in the earth that Cirilla caused back in Season 1 with her scream power, and Istrid's kind of taken aback. He... He tells Geralt, he's like, it takes years of erosion to even make a dent in Stellasite. This, this is a scientific revelation. It defies every historical precedent, Witcher. This changes everything. And Geralt responds, I was expecting tracks, bones, anything. I have to go down there. And Istrid says, we have to go down there. And the scene moves over to Vesemir. And Cirilla walks in from training, and she sits down to get something to drink. And, you know, Vesemir looks to her and says, you know, I thought you were going to be a spoiled, high-bred, drip-nosed royal from the West, and you are, but you're impressing all of us out there. And Cirilla responds, not enough to join Geralt and Sintra. To which Vesemir asks, you think you should have been invited? Cirilla says, well, it's my home. My fight. My life. And Vesemir tells her, I need to show you something. So they walk to that lab room. Investmer continues on when he, while like they're walking there, and he says, When the conjunction happened, it wasn't just the elves, humans, and dwarves. Spheres of beasts collided too. Mages weaponized monsters, tried to conquer lands with them. Fucking idiots. Of course, the monsters destroyed everything. Then 300 years ago, mages weaponized men. Mutated them with elixirs, made them faster, stronger. Brutal enough to kill the beasts. The witchers saved humanity from extinction. Do you know why there are fewer of us each winter, Siri? Because when K. Morton was destroyed, so was the mutagen that allowed us to make new witchers. But I think you can help. You ever heard of fenywed? A fienwed? It's an ancient flower. Only grows one place, where elder blood is spilled. And Srila says, these have been sprouting all over the training course. Vesemir says, yeah. 
To which Rilla responds, Where I've bled. But my grandmother, she hated the elves. Vesemir continues on, Well, sometimes our deepest hate is for the things we cannot change about ourselves. Something bad is brewing out there. With a vial of your blood, we could protect generations to come. Srilla asks him, How are you so sure it will work? Vesemir says, I'm not. And Srilla tells him, I'll do it. On one condition, you have to test it on me first. Vesemir has a flashback to all the times where he saw witchers attempt to be created and how many died throughout the process. He kind of comes back to himself and says, Forget it. Come, my men are warriors now, but they were boys in pain once, if they even survived, and not that many did. I'll not take that chance with you. Srilla says, Because I'm a girl? Vesemir responds, No, because you're Geralt's child. Srilla says, I'm not a child. Vesemir says, Because we care about you. Srilla says, And I care about all of you. You said it yourself. Witchers are dying one by one. You'll fight, you'll die. And all those boys' sufferings will have been for nothing. I've destroyed so many things. Please, just let me help heal something for once. I'm meant for this. And that's when the scene cuts over to Geralt and Istrid, and Geralt notices there's no nest and no evidence monsters have been there at all. And Istrid says, this is unbelievable. How could this happen? What could do this? Then he kind of comes to a conclusion and says, monsters. And Geralt asks him to explain. And Istrid says, historians have always theorized that monoliths are scars from the conjunction, leftover points of impact. Geralt says, yes, I've read books before. Nistrid tells him, well, think about it. Monsters didn't exist on this plane before the conjunction. All species were separated on different spheres until those spheres merged into one. Now, a conjunction like that would have required two things. A massive surge of energy and conduits to channel it. Now, what if the monoliths aren't points of impact? What if they're the conduits? And Geralt says, I worry about you mages more and more. And Istrid responds, perhaps humans shouldn't live for so long. I've seen them communicating. You say this monolith toppled during the slaughter of Sintra. That makes perfect sense. And Geralt says, and yet, it doesn't. And the scene shifts back to Cirilla and Triss and Vesemir, and she's drawing her blood into a vial, and Triss is combining ingredients and adds Cirilla's blood, and then starts chanting an elven incantation, or at least like a, like an elder incantation, whatever it was to make you know these magical... <laughs> incantations but the color of the vial changes and Srila asks you know did it work and Vesemir said it worked and Srila says I just need a moment to prepare and Triss asks prepare for what Vesemir tells Triss well she wants to be the first Triss asks the first Vesemir says new witcher it was her choice and Triss looks pissed then this scene cuts back over to Yaskir and Yennefer, and Yaskir tells Yennefer that the man who kidnapped him, uh, about that said that the man who kidnapped him and tortured him is after Geralt. And Yaskir says, "You don't have to play damsel in distress. That's my job." Thought that was pretty funny because you know he's a little jokester bard there. But uh, men try and get with Yennefer, mistaking her for a prostitute, and she kicks one of the balls, and her and Yaskir are on the run again. So now, not only are they running from Rience the Fire Mage, now they're running from re this regular old. Uh, city people that she pissed off because she, they thought she was a prostitute and then on top of that if you guys remember they're also technically well at least Yennefer is on the run from the city guards too because she's that uh, there was those wanted posters that came in that she was the like disgraced treasonous mage and so you know they're, like 
she's on the run from basically three different factions right now. So you kind of have an idea it's not going to end well, right? So the broth woman that she hired to find Yaskier at the beginning tells her to hide in her place to get away from the men chasing her, but it's a trap. She had those city guards in her house waiting for her, and they take Yennefer. So then that scene cuts back to Cirilla washing up and preparing herself, and Trish barges in and starts berating her, and, you know, she's like, what are you doing? And I know you know how dangerous this is, and Cirilla tells her, I'm not afraid. And Trish asks, well, have you thought about Geralt? What he'd say? Why do you want this so bad, Siri?" And Cirilla says, I'm sick of feeling lost. Everything I was told my whole life was a lie. And the people who I love the most in this world were taken from me before I could find the truth. And Trish says, what you're doing won't change any of that. And Cirilla says, but it might help me find a new truth. To which Trish responds, maybe there's another way to find out where your powers came from. And Cirilla asks, what? You mean like you did with the Myriapod? Trish says, well, slightly less scientific than that. It's called the Daldusha. It translates roughly to Valley of the Soul. It allows me to enter the deepest layer of your consciousness and uncover things that may be hidden there. Genetic memories that tell the story of who you really are, where you really come from. And she'll ask, well, is it dangerous? And Triss says, no, it just requires that we trust each other. And so Cirilla agrees to it, and Triss takes Cirilla's head in her lap and tells her to clear her mind, and then she recites another incantation. Then they kind of stand up, and they walk around, and they're in her mind. And they see people from Cirilla's present and past. You see Dara is in one of them. Like then that's a little bit of a foreshadow because he still he has a role to play over in Sintra. Uh, she sees Kahir and freaks out a little bit, or Kahir, however you want to say his name. But Trish reminds her that nothing can hurt her in her own mind. They see Cirilla's mother Pavetta, and her mother sees them and asks Cirilla if she would like a story. And at this point, Triss is taken aback, and Triss asks Pavetta, like the the dream. You know, woman there, her mother in the dream, says, you can see us. And Cyril asks, what's wrong? And Tris tells her, this is not how it's supposed to work. So the, the group of witchers in her mind, they say, come on, Siri, let's go back. You've had enough. And a door opens, and they hear a baby crying in the distance. And so Tris and Cyrilla walk towards it. And keep in mind, they're still in her mind right now. All this is happening inside her own mind. And Tris is kind of freaking out because she's saying, like, this isn't how it's supposed to work at all. And they hear Pavetta talking to baby Cirilla and Dooney, which is Cirilla's dad. And the, there's a little dialogue between Dooney and Pavetta, and Dooney says, they'd kill her if they knew. Pavetta says, it's a prophecy, maybe it's not true. To which Dooney responds, it doesn't matter if it's true, it only matters if the people believe it, and they will. The boat's ready, we can leave under the cover of darkness. Then Cirilla says to Triss, Triss, this is the night they died, my parents. Then Pavetta looks up with a scary look on her face, directly at Srilla and Trish. Kind of freaked me out a bit. <laughs> and then Trish says, Siri, come on. And Srilla says, wait, I don't, I don't want to leave them yet. Trish tells her something isn't right. So Trish basically drags Srilla out of the room, and then a disembodied voice starts speaking to them. What are you, child? And a bright light is illuminated ahead of Srilla and Trish, Triss, and they approach it. And the scene cuts to Geralt and Istrid. Ishrid tells Geralt that he was at a dig in Nazir a while back and that he witnessed something that the monolith he was at started emitting strange vibrations like it was channeling a massive energy surge and it happened the same night that Sintra fell and the same night the monolith that fell where they are currently at too. And so Geralt asks him, you think this is where the energy surge originated? Ishrid says, which activated the conduit system. The monolith started talking. And Geralt asks him, what does that have to do with monsters? And Ishrid said, it wasn't a conjunction. 
at least not how we've been thinking. The other spheres didn't merge. They collided, then separated again. Gero says, if the original spheres are still out there somewhere, and our monoliths are calling to them, then the monsters aren't new, they're just new to here, and they're using our monoliths as a gateway. And then the scene cuts back to Cyril and Triss, and Cyril asks Triss where they are, and Triss doesn't know. They look like they're, they kind of look like they're in a forest full of dead trees. And they start walking through it, you know, looking for something, but before they find what they're looking for, the scene cuts back to Geralt and Istrid, and they're continuing on their conversation, and Istrid asks, you know, tell me how you knew that monsters and monoliths were linked. And Geralt responds, you know, what is it that you're hoping to hear? Istrid tells him, your agenda. Look, if you have information that could advance our civilization, I have a right to know. And Geralt asks him why, so you can help the elves? Istra says, I came to Sintra because I thought someone might be here. A woman. Yennefer. Geralt says, Yennefer? A Vangerberg? Istra asks him, you know Yenna? Geralt says, Yen. I did. Yes. Istra tells him, me too. Geralt states to him, not even a question, just says, you loved her. Istra says, love. I never stopped. I thought after Sodden, after everything they did to her at Eratusa, she would make her way here for refuge. Geralt says, after Sodden? Because keep in mind, at this point in time, Geralt still thinks Yennefer's dead, and that she didn't survive the Battle of Sodden, right? So then Istrid continues on, he says, after she burned through Nilfgaard's army and saved the continent, we should all be praising her name. And Geralt is kind of shocked and taken aback, he says, Yen's alive? And that's when the scene cuts to Cyrilla and Triss walking through the dead tree forest, following a baby's cries and a woman's humming. And they come across a blonde elf woman bleeding and cradling a dark-haired child humming to it. And Triss asks Cyrilla, do you know who she is? And Cyrilla tells her no. Then the woman, she says to the baby in her arm, she says, Very well, I will tell you the story of the elven warrior made to kill the human invader, the human she fell in love with. And then Cyrilla says to herself, Nivellin's story. She's dying. And what a cool full circle this is. Because back in episode one of season two, that they had that little, uh, I don't know, like the, you know inside those jewelry boxes where if you twist it up, it like opens up and there's like a dancing thing. Like Nivellin had that, their version of that and told the whole story about this. And now we're kind of seeing who that person is here. But what's she doing in Cyrilla's mind, right? Cyrilla's never met this person. This isn't supposed to, not, this isn't how it's supposed to work. All the thing that they're doing there with Triss and Cyrilla is supposedly trying to find like clues about her past that she would have lived through, whether she was a baby or else. But now they're finding things that had nothing to do with her current life. So it's very interesting. And that's why Triss is so scared, because this is not how things are supposed to be going in this area. So anyways, Triss walks up to the elven woman and attempts to using, she wants to use her healing magic to save her. And it's like the elven woman doesn't even, like, you know, recognize her, or, like, you know, feel anything that Triss is doing. She continues on talking to the baby, says, You could have united our races, and now, my sweet daughter, you will destroy them. And so the elven woman grabs, uh, like, you know, she stands up abruptly and grabs Triss by the throat, first time, like, recognizing that there's someone else there. And again, this isn't supposed to happen. Like, <laughs> so Triss is there, like, getting strung up by her neck by this elven woman whose hands locked around her throat and uh, the elven woman says you cannot help us 
And then the Alvin woman's eyes roll back to their whites, and she directs her gaze towards Cyrilla and says, Child of elder blood, child of wrath, the time of contempt is nigh. The world will die amidst frost and be reborn of the new sun, reborn of elder blood, of the seed that has been sown, a seed that will not sprout, but will burst into flame. And then she looks to the sky and sees the wraiths of Morog, which is like the equivalent to our four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like if you have kind of, you know, related to real life or whatever, that's kind of like the, the wraiths of Morog are kind of, you know, symbolistic of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So Cyrilla calls out for Geralt and back in Kaimorin, the tree that holds the medallions of the fallen witchers begins to crack. And the scene cuts to Geralt and Istrid, and they both hear Cyrilla calling out to Geralt as if from the sky. Then pieces of stellocyte in the crack that Istrid and Geralt are standing and they start to levitate and shoot towards something off screen. They actually have to like duck behind things so they're not getting cut by these pieces of stellocyte. Then the scene cuts back to Cyrilla and Triss like snapping out of the trance back in Kaimorin. And Cyrilla goes to help Triss up and Triss freaks out on her. And she's like crying and screaming and Triss is and says something is ending. It's because of you. A seed that bursts into flame. It's you. You will destroy us all. I saw it. No one can stop it. Not even him. And then Cyrilla runs from the room. That's when the scene cuts back to Istrid and Geralt. And Istrid says, Where did those stellocyte fragments go? Whose voice was that? And Geralt says, Quiet. And she says, What is it? And then a new monster made out of the stellocyte approaches them. And it kind of looks like a stone dragon, but a bit horse-ish. And we don't learn the name of it till the next episode, so I won't talk really about it here. But to me, it kind of reminded me of like the Harry Potter Thestrals. You know, it had like a, like a horse and dragon feel to it, but it was made of that stellocyte stone, and it flies off into the sky. And Istrid asks Geralt, you know, who was the girl that called to you, and what the hell was that thing? Do you think Nilfgaard knows about this? And Geralt looks at him and says, "Open a portal now." And the scene cuts back to Cirilla, and she runs the Vesemir in the lab, and. She goes up to Vesemir and says, Vesemir, I want it done now. So Vesemir straps Cyrilla down in the chair and gets the syringe ready. And he's about to inject her when he has another flashback to Geralt going through the suffering. And his eyes finally turning orange, you know, meaning he became a witcher. And Cyrilla, or Vesemir like shakes it back, looks at Cyrilla and says, are you certain? And she kind of braces herself in response, showing that she is ready. And Vesemir is about to inject her. He gets maybe like centimeters from her arm. And Geralt walks in right on time. Geralt says what are you doing and Trilla looks at him he's like she's a Geralt and Vesemir tells Geralt she's meant to be to rebuild us and Geralt tells Vesemir she is not she's a girl all you'll do is poison her and Vesemir tells him she can do this and Trilla tells Geralt I made him do it Geralt so Geralt goes to unstrap her and Trilla says stop I wanted him to try Geralt stop and Geralt asks did you not think of the consequences what if you were killed? And Cyrilla says, stop, stop. All I ever think about are the consequences. No matter how hard I train, no matter what I do, it'll never be enough. And Geralt says, you are already enough, Cyrilla. You're extraordinary. And Cyrilla says, I want to be like you, Geralt. I want to be indifferent to the past, to the lies, to the things I've done. Please, let me have that. Geralt tells her that this is not how it works. Neither you nor I can just forget who we are. We can't kill our feelings. Our best chance is to kill the hatred that we may hold on to and move on. And at that point, Cyrilla does allow him to remove the straps, and he tells her to go get her things. And Geralt kind of gives Vesemir a look of disappointment and walks out of the room. 
And that's when the scene cuts back to Istrid, and Istrid, again, seemingly to himself, is talking, he says, is, is that what Calanthe was protecting? What did she know? What does this all mean? And he picks up his yellow journal off the ground and says to the white sculpture bust, Apologies, King Rogner. So now we know who that statue bust of the head is, and maybe we learn more about him later on, so he could be important. But then Istra looks for a book on the shelves, and he grabs one that details the royal line of Sintra. And he follows the family tree with his fingers and mumbles to himself, Why does it stop? Ugh, it doesn't make any sense. What does this all mean? And that's when the scene cuts to the boat full of the elf refugees and Kahir, and they're having a rough go of a journey, but they finally approach Sintra, and the scene sh shifts over to Fringilla and Francesca. They... they uh, kind of talking about you know we kind of see how much along in her pregnancy Francesca is, and she's worried. And Frangilla is worried that there are fewer and fewer arrivals. So Frangilla tells Francesca, "I've received word that guards have begun boarding ships, even in Oxenfurt, and they've always been on our side." And Francesca tells her, "Well, we need an alternative." And Frangilla says, "I am, and I didn't mean to alarm you. I just want you to have all the information I do, so that we can be in step with each other." And Francesca gives Frangilla a strange look, and Frangilla asks, what? Francesca says, nothing. It's just, I've had leaders and followers, but I've never had a partner before. And Frangilla responds, well, neither have I. It's not terrible. Francesca says, the next, sh the next ship is due soon. Come. I want my people to meet their liberator. And so Kahir enters the city, and it's a different welcome than he was expecting, because a guard roughly kind of asks him for his papers and makes him stand in line with the other elves. And so one of the elves is like taking down the, I'm sorry, a man is taking down the refugee, the elf refugees' names and where they're from. And Dara, the infiltrating elf, the spy, is second one in line. And I thought it was kind of cool too. He's from the Marble Gardens. Maybe that comes into play. Maybe it doesn't. I just thought it was like curious to notate. But Kair tries to push his way through, only to be stopped and told to wait in line. And an argument between him and the elves break out. And the, the person taking the names down says, you must declare yourself before entering Zintria. And Kahir says, stand aside. The elf tells him, fall back in line. And Kahir says, I said, stand aside. And that's when Phil Evangel comes to the elf's aid and says, perhaps you didn't hear. There's no entry until you report. So who are you? And I know I'm going to butcher this name, guys, so I apologize in advance. But Kahir says, I am Commander Maur Diffrin Ayup Selak. Who the fuck are you? And then Frangillo calls from behind them, Kahir, welcome home. It's good to see you alive. And the scene cuts to Yennefer in the custody of the guards, and the old woman's voice is whispering her in her head again, and telling her, your friends are faring so much better than you. One has command, the other hope. And the scene shifts to Yaskir, and he's hiding, but he overhears the men that were chasing him and Yennefer, and argue that the guards about how they deserve a reward. The guards wouldn't have caught them without the help, but the guards basically tell them to go fuck off, and that's when the scene shifts back to Yennefer. And the old woman's voice continues and says, You know what you need, Piglet? Your magic. And then Yaskier looks through the window and sees Yennefer tied up. And the old woman's voice in Yennefer's head continues on, says, You're running out of time. Then the guard touches her face. Yennefer yells at the guard, Take your fucking hands off me. And the guard looks back at her and says, I'm going to take pleasure in your execution. So the old woman in Yen's head continues, Show me what you want. Heal your wounds. You know the words. Say them. Neanderthal says, Behold the mother of forests, the deathless mother, nesting in dreams. Turn your back to the forest. Hut, hut. 
and she disappears in the guard's grasp. And Yasuke, who's looking through the window, freaks out a bit and yells out to her. But unfortunately, two guards corner him. And now the scene shifts to Yennefer, who seems to be in the hut with no doors in the woods. And that old woman says, So good to see you again, all alone in a world that hates you, with no way to protect yourself. How delicious. Yennefer says, I managed. To which the old woman responds, And yet, you're here. Yennefer replies, I'm not stupid. I meant what I said before. I'm done dealing in debts. I want to make a trade. And the old woman says, I know what you want. All that wrath and righteous anger raging inside you. I can smell your desires like rotting meat. But I'm not here to grant wishes. I'm simply a guide to get you exactly what you deserve. Just ask your friends. Yennefer says, I deserve to survive. I earned it. I deserve access to chaos. And the old woman says, I know how you can get it. How you can steal it. Yennefer asks, steal what? Then the old woman turns into like a facsimile of Cirilla and says, me. And Yennefer asks, and who are you? And it's that fake Cirilla says, I'm the key to you getting your power back. And a great deal more than that. All you have to do is deliver me to the right lock. A shattered black door just outside Sintra. And that is the end of the episode. Season 2, episode 5 of The Witcher there. And so, I know it was kind of a, a long recap, so I'll turn it over to Chase to kind of give his thoughts or if there's anything he wanted to add to it, some of his takeaways and all that great stuff. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, I mean, that's what's... Uh, I mean, there's really no way to prevent long recaps because there's so much detail going into these last episodes we're entering here. But, uh, I mean, I thought it was... It's a very interesting twist and turn of events that now they're bringing in where now Yennefer is basically going to go after Ciri. So, but overall, I thought the episode was fantastic because you found out a lot of different detail. You know, Geralt learns that Yennefer is alive. Ciri struggles with that decision to become the next Witcher. Witcher. Um, and, and Triss, of course, you kind of have a little bit of conflict between Triss and Vesemir with them deciding, you know, what's on the right side, what's on the wrong side, with what to do with Ciri's blood, and whether they should let Ciri be the first Witcher. And then from there, you know, uh, I mean, it just really starts to kind of escalate, and you still have that development with, you know, what's going on with Francesca and and how Frangilla's, uh, they're kind of, Frangilla's kind of stepping, starting to step into the role of I guess you can kind of say like her right hand man, like her like wing woman here, right? Uh, especially as she starts to go down the path of, you know, eventually going to have that baby. So I, I thought it was really good. It was um, wasn't as much action. I mean, we saw a monster for a little bit. We don't know exactly what it is, but it was a lot of major points that you have to bring up. So it was definitely filling in a lot of the plot here. Uh, as we start to get to the climax of this season two here. So that's my thoughts. What about you? My thoughts on it, they're, they're, I had quite a few. Because now the foreshadow is starting to come full circle. More people are now in the race to get Cirilla. Right? So first it was Nilfgaard on orders from the White Flame. And then we had Lydia and Rience, who don't know, we don't know at this point where they're getting their orders from. But they're on like the path to getting Cirilla as well. And now, you said, you added Yennefer to the mix too. 
you know, I have a feeling, you know, going forward that it's only going to grow. The, the, the list of places and people who are going to be looking for Cirilla is just going to keep growing more and more people. And so it's almost like a worldwide manhunt. But right now it's starting. It's just, it, there's only three factions right now. But we know that she, with who she is and what she represents, anyone would like, in power want to get their hands on her. So it's, it's starting to kind of come full circle in that sense. Um, I do like the fact that we're kind of like I, the action isn't just all about like fighting monsters, right? The other action is too is we're starting to kind of see we don't always get away, right? Yennefer gets captured, Yaskir is captured, Yennefer really like you know like I guess even if I want to put it in chronological order of what happens in the episode, I guess Yennefer helped. You know, first Yaskir is captured, Yennefer helps him escape. Then they're on the run. Then Yennefer gets captured, and Yaskir could escape. Then Yaskir wants to help out Yennefer because she helped out him, and then she kind of gets disappeared into the you know thing, and he gets recaptured there. You know, so it's just, it's really interesting. And then what's really crazy is what really you know what we're not talking about is like this Dol Dusha thing with this uh, you know child of chaos this. The, the woman we're talking about who was from Nivellin's story, uh, you know, how, what, what could be coming from this? We saw the race of Morag coming from the sky in her little dream vision. Like, you're not supposed to be able to touch or interact with the people that you're going back and looking at it. And that elven woman grabbed Triss by the throat and, like, held her up. And Triss said, like, you know, she's like, like something's going to, you're going to destroy us all. So now Triss, like, went from someone who's trying to protect and, you know, coach Cirilla through magic to someone who's terrified of her and, like, She's she's gonna have to make a choice on her own here that we'll see going forward of like what she's gonna do with information that she has. So there's just so much going on. Uh, you know, this is it's gonna be a really big thing going forward. I really think that the dream is is a really big key for events that will happen. Not so much at the end of this season, maybe a little bit, but I think really going in seasons forward with like her bloodline and who these people are in history and what that means for her and how it's going to shape her future going forward those are some of the bigger things that i for sure was curious about and that i thought were important and noteworthy and so you know i i'm really excited to kind of to go through there because now we have a little bit of everyone that doing different things right we we get like the historian side that's why i like this show so much because Everyone has their role to play, right? We have Istrid the mage, who, even though he's a mage, he's really known as a historian, and you know he he's gonna go into the deep annals and search through family lines, and we're gonna get backstory from him. Where you know with Geralt, you know more, so you're gonna get like the the protector, you know, the guy who battles the monsters. You know, then we've got you know Vesemir who's trying to re remake his army of witchers so that way they can protect more people, and he, like that that is gonna be important going forward too. Then. We've got obviously the the I don't want to say bad guys, but the people who seem to be on the opposite side of of morality right now. You know, we got Rients, this new fire mage. We didn't get too much backstory on it, but now he's in the fold, and you know he's going to be a dangerous adversary because he can use fire magic, which is super you know big no no. Not supposed to be able to do that. You know, said for very talented people, they can control it, but it burns their soul. So like. He's basically a soulless guy who's got very like good magical talents with fire, and that's going to be dangerous for anybody to mess around with going forward. Then you've got Yennefer, who doesn't have her magic, but she like she's almost like in a, in a conflict, like a confliction within herself of doing the right thing or doing you know self-preservation and, and trying to get her magic back, so she's not in these positions anymore. And so the, the, that's why I love it so much. Is everyone has a different 
view and vantage point and how the story comes together. It's not just following, you know, two or three people and through their stories out. It's what makes it different than other fantasy fiction productions, right? You know, this is very, you know, quote unquote Game of Thronesy, where Harry Potter, you really kind of followed three characters throughout the entire story, right? Well, this one, you, 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 there's three characters in one scene. You gotta follow who have different thoughts. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's amazing. You know, you got Yaskier, you got Yennefer, you got Triss, you got uh, Geralt, you got Vesemir, you got the Eratusa mages, you got Rience, you got these kingdoms of Sintra, Nilfgaard, the White Flame, Cahir, Fringilla. Like, there's just so many important characters. It's amazing. Like, it really is, and they all have like a different agenda and different way that like, they're trying to accomplish the things that they want to see come to pass and so those are some of the tactical takeaways i have from this episode really was to me it was a catalyst a catalytic episode kind of going forward of who is Cyrilla really you know what is this the what is the importance behind this dream that we had who was that elven woman holding the baby who's the baby like who's the daughter of chaos where are these wraiths of mora going to come into play that are coming towards them like it it was a really cool episode for me in, in that sense so there was a lot of action, just not the kind of action that you would think about, like uh, a contest of one-on-one or like a battle of armies. It was, it was more like action taken to move forward in the series, and that's that's I really like the episode. That that is my my takeaways of it. Did you have anything that you want to add or like you know speak to that at all? I just want to know more about Rient. Like, I, I don't like him <laughs> at all. But maybe that's because, like, I don't... It's hard to judge, like, someone you haven't seen very much in the series because instantly, especially, you know, with the drama he's causing and now that he's after Geralt and uh, trying to track down Geralt so he can find the key, right? Um... I want to know like what his like hopefully in these later seasons that go on I want to know like what drove him to where he is like what really put him in that prison where they found him like what got him to that point what got him into tapping into fire magic that you're not supposed to use because we've seen granite Yennefer right granite Yennefer used a lot more of it at the battle of Sodden to the point of you wonder <laughs> if her soul was affected or not. However, she also has elven blood. I don't know if Rience even has elven blood. So it makes you wonder, like he has to either come from some bloodline or something to even be able to tap into that. Because not any normal person that's a mage can just, even Tissaia, can't just tap into fire magic like that. So I just want to know like what his story is on how he got to that point or if he's hopefully he's not just some side villain that they threw in there just to put in as an action sequence. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts and I I think you made a a cool um, comparison here with Yennefer using fire magic but the thing is, we talk about Yennefer using the fire magic in, in her mind, and like, you know, it's it's a weird uh, saying, right? I don't know if you guys ever heard this before, but they say like the, the path to heaven's paved with good intentions, right? And so I think like Yennefer was trying to do something good with her fire magic. She was trying to save Sodden. So in her heart of hearts, she wasn't doing it to become powerful. She wasn't doing it to you know make more of herself. She was doing it to save other people. So she she kind of. Right took a bad action for a good outcome 
right? That's kind of like you know what it seemed right. like to me, anyways. And I think most people would probably agree. Uh, where Rience, it almost seems like he he's mischievous, and maybe he sought after the power himself and wanted to do it for personal gain, right? You know, so for Jennifer, when she used it, it was like the ends justify the means. Where Rience, it's more like. I don't know this for a fact, like you said, maybe we'll find out later on in the future seasons going forward, but to me, it almost seems like he's just like a, a guy who's out for personal gain and doing it for himself to make himself more powerful and more uh, you know, more of an adversary and someone who's a bigger player in the, in the grand scheme of things. So that's my impression and my thoughts on it. Was there anything in this episode that you didn't like or that you thought it was kind of like, man, they should have explained that better or this shouldn't have happened like this or that. Was there anything that popped out to you? Nothing that really popped out to me. I mean, one kind of goes more into my debates, I guess. But I'll get into that in a minute when we get into that. Uh, I'm very torn on this whole, like, Siri and her like blood for witchers right like I, I just i don't know like i think i'm wondering if like clearly her blood is the key but i i just don't really i don't i don't know how i really stand on it like it, it feels like it's almost like she is i don't know why she would just want to die to become a witcher like right away like i know she wants to do something good for everybody but it's almost like someone jumping into someone something that's done no research on the whole thing at all like she was just just because of vesemir like was wanting this to happen she just immediately buys in but i think that might go into the whole idea of she's still just a kid in this show but you would think here's my problem with it is she's been spending all this time with Triss and it's like she doesn't give a shit what Triss says like you would think she would actually respect Triss to the point of realizing you know one Triss is elven like I know a lot of people don't respect elves but the fact that she is so in tuned with alchemy and magic you would think she would have at least consulted Triss first when she heard about this from Vesemir versus just telling Vesemir, like, I'm cool with this shit. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And that's not my debate, but just my question. Like, I don't think she shows Triss enough respect where if she actually, I feel like if she had gone about this another way, maybe Triss wouldn't have used the whole idea of jumping into her memory to find out everything that was going on and they could have even come out a different way whereas she's already just fucked up this entire relationship with Triss just based on the memories <laughs> that they walk through and I feel like it's because part of the reason is because she just decided to side with Vesemir even worse her the person that's basically like her father Geralt wouldn't have been for it and she didn't even think twice to ask him first <laughs> like take an extra day almost like she's just going rogue agent here just going off on her own what's your thoughts well my first question is like how do we know Triss is elvin like that was never like disclosed at all well i, I a... mean i guess she's not but i mean from a mage for being a mage from where she uh 
sorry, I was thinking of back when she was in the tub or whatever, <laughs> where, uh, uh, whatever her name was, um, Yennefer and all of them were in the tub. So I keep thinking Yennefer's blood, but so she's not elven, but she's a mage. My point being with Triss is Geralt, we've heard from previous episodes, invited her there to train Siri. So clearly, it's not like she's has no experience with any of this shit. Like, she's a very powerful mage, and you've seen how she knows all about alchemy and how they're learning about these mutagens based on things Triss is helping them with. But it's basically to the point of Siri almost doesn't respect Triss at all, in my opinion. Like, she, everything Triss has done, like, she almost doesn't give a fuck about. I'll buy, I'll buy that. I, I think that, and part of it could be because of her age and, you know, she thinks she knows better than everybody else. But, like, I also think it doesn't help that throughout all of Cirilla's life, she's been around very powerful and very important people. Right? Like, I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that Geralt is the most prominent witcher of all the witchers. You know, they call him the White Wolf. Like, Vesemir seems to have a more of a, um, a connection with Geralt than maybe the other witchers there. So he's, you know, we've seen some of the deeds he's done. We followed his story a little bit. So, you know, she has been in his company for a long time, someone who's super prominent, like the top key figure there in the witcher aspect of the world. Then, you know, even before that, she grew up as Calanthe's granddaughter. And Calanthe was the Queen of Sintra, which is supposed to be the continent's crown jewel. And you saw, like, they called her the Lioness. And she was, like, really powerful and a very prominent figure herself. They had a whole battle in the in the throne room because Dooney wanted to marry Pavetta. And he looked like a hedgehog, and she wasn't trying to have it. You know, like, then, <laughs> so we saw, she's been around the most important characters and the people who emanate power and confidence and i think tris's personality and hers kind of clash a little bit because like you said it might be a lack of respect because of all the mages there's no one that would say tris is the strongest mage right you know what i mean like it 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 just seems that like i I think she likes tris as a person but i think there could be a lack of respect that there's nothing this woman can do for me outside of teach me words or like how to you know use certain things like i don't I, 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 that's what I really think it comes down to. I think it comes down to her being uh, uh, thinking that she knows it all, her feeling trapped because decisions are always made for her. So this is the first time she's got like a, like a, almost leverage in a way. Like, oh, okay, you guys can use my blood, but here's a trade-off. I'm not letting you use it unless I'm the first one. Like now she's got kind of a bit of leverage because uh, decisions have been kind of made for her whole life and she's kind of sick of it. And bad things have happened and she wants to do something good and, and she has her mindset to being in control for once and she's not going to let Triss stop her or, you know, try to talk her out. Because it's not even like Triss wanted to stop her. She's like, hey, how about we think about this for a second? Can we, like, consult yeah. Geralt? Can we, can we like, have a breath for a minute and start just jumping into it head first? Like, yeah, it was a lot of impulsiveness on Cyril's part. So, yeah, I think, I think a little of all of that comes into play there. Yeah. Yeah, man, you want to kick us off on the debates today? Uh, no, actually, first, I want to talk about a few things I had an issue with in the episode. Uh, sure. There's just, like, two things that really kind of bothered me. The first time, the first thing, it's like, I felt that this was rushed. I'm glad things turned out the way that they did later on in the season uh, in terms of not having this go the way they thought. I'll just say that, not to ruin anything. But the fact that the very, very first time 
you know, one of the staples of anything that's important is that you try it a few times, it doesn't work a few times, and finally, in like the moment of desperation, something clicks and it works, right? Well, all of a sudden, the very first time that they drew Cirillo's butt and mixed it in with the mutagen, it worked. Like, that's what you said. They asked, like, did it work? And, oh, yeah, it, it right. worked. They haven't been able to make witchers for how long? And then all of a sudden, you just put, take in one little piece of blood, put it into some baking soda water, stir it up. I don't know the recipe. I'm just saying. All of a sudden, it works out of nowhere. I don't know. I had an issue with that. Yeah. It just seemed really anticlimactic for something that they've been waiting for and, like, like, like desiring the ability to make new witchers for however many years. It just seemed really downplayed in that moment. That's something I had an issue with. I really wish that, you know, they would have been to the point where, like, ah, oh, no, that didn't work. And the freshman getting frustrated, like, throwing shit against the wall. And then finally something <laughs> clicks in a moment of desperation would have been awesome. But, no, just, like, they drew the blood or they put it in the vial. Like, oh, yeah, we can make new witchers now at episode five in the second season. Okay. Like, I don't know. That's just something that, <laughs> that bothered me. Did it bother you, too? Like, give me your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I was kind of the same way. Like, I feel like it's... I don't know why you would have to even feel the need to rush this because you're only on episode five anyways. <laughs> episode five of season two and we're rushing shit along. Are we playing season eight Game of Thrones? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? I don't really understand the point. Um, you're right. And they almost built this up as if it was, you know, not to like bring up vampires and stuff, but almost like they say like a vampire's toxin takes over somebody almost like that. Like it was supposed to be a very uh, benchmark for the witchers. And even uh, uh, I just imagine like Geralt's never really talked about it, but you would think that would be a very agonizing process to turn someone into a witcher almost like an alchemy lab, <laughs> you know, experimenting on things to make sure everything is perfect and you have the perfect vials and all that. And all of a sudden they're just doing some elven words and some magic and shit, putting it in some meniscus and it glows. And here we are like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It's, it was disappointing for me too. I didn't have a problem with the episode because I felt like, they answered a lot of plot points that they were trying to get at, and I thought it was interesting with Rience, how they brought him in. But even like Rience, like I can't say I really feel any attachment to the point of like like Peter Peter Baelish, right? Couldn't and I hate to make comparisons to Game of Thrones. This is just a character comparison of how I feel towards somebody. Like Peter Baelish, I couldn't stand him. Because, like, they built him up over all this time. Rience, they just, like, threw him in the mix. Here he is, spreading fire. He's got the fire disease. <laughs> like, we're just going to spread it on everybody. He's just coming out of nowhere. They just found him in some random-ass prison. He was basically over there in Azkaban, chilling for 30 years. No one knew where the fuck he was. And then some random lady shows up and says, Hey, well, I don't give a fuck about either one of these sides. But you can tap into fire magic. So not to mention, like, let's bring up the fact of, yeah, fire's powerful. But at the same time, like, witchers can do some pretty powerful shit. <laughs> like, let's not act like that's, like, the end-all be-all. 
Go get a fucking water hose. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Go go drain the water out of the fucking river that they've been bitching about. <laughs> go fucking drain that shit where the flowers are and go throw it on that guy. And he's really got nothing left. I, I just feel like you're right. Like, the connection to what they were introducing, I felt was rushed. I felt the plot points that they were trying to answer... It was average. Like, I don't think it was bad because, honestly, I got to give credit to the actors. Like, I think the actors, that's one thing that has really impressed me with this TV series. Usually, you know, it's like the writing is top-notch and the actors can do better. Like, the actors really sell this show. Like, the actors do really well, in my opinion. Um... And I, I think that's what part of it is how it has led me to bring, um, I guess, feel like I, I really have a connection with these characters is the actors. But yeah, this episode was just like, it wasn't all over the place because it was making a point, but it's they were shoving in so much information in one hour that it was just like, and I hate to make comparisons to Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and all this stuff, but it was just like when Jon Snow found out he was the true king. <laughs> he was just like, cool. That's great. Same thing with Ciri's blood. Like, Vesemir told her, and she's like, oh, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's my thoughts. I thought it could have been better. Maybe I'm being extremely picky. But the first fourth episode was a little shaky but the first four episodes in my opinion it was very hard for me to complain about anything because i loved the way they were answering it i loved the way they were pacing it nothing felt rushed and i felt that i was truly understood i knew everything going on now but i truly understood the connection i had to these characters and why they were bring, being brought in in places what are your thoughts well there's a lot of time for someone's backstory to be uncovered there i didn't have too much a terrible problem with Rience at all um i think that he's going to play a big role going forward and uh and obviously he's working for somebody and i think that that connection is going to be a more important uh thing maybe than even him himself um mm -hmm. <clears throat> As far as everything else, like, I don't know, you kind of contradicted yourself in a way by saying, like, yeah, like you know, you liked a bunch of stuff about the episodes, but that, that the fourth one was shaky, and then this one, you thought uh, they, <laughs> they, they threw too much in. It's not so much that I felt they threw too much in. I just, there was just a few very specific things that I I wish where they did a little bit differently. And the, the, the one thing that I would say for sure is there was just no need to make it this way, unless... They're concerned that the show doesn't have a big enough audience to go however seasons they want it to go, and they want to put things in now to kind of, you know, if they need to quickly wrap it up, they can. But I don't see that as, as the case. And it seems that The Witcher has a really good uh, fan response. Like, people seem to be engaged with the show, and it seems to be one of Netflix's bigger, you know, fantasy fiction series. So I would have liked to see, like I said, I already talked about, like, the desperation on the on the blood thing working like after a good amount of time. I don't like how it just jumped out right away. 
But there's only one other thing in this episode that I really didn't like either. And and this just could this could have all been explained, I think, in a sentence or two if the the old witch in the forest would have just mentioned something. But like when Yennefer was taken captive, what do they know? They not everyone knows that Yennefer can't use magic. They on the posted the the, the wanted posters are those little cards that flew out from like the ravens or the crows uh that people were picking up it said treasonous mage and didn't say anything about like you know someone who doesn't have powers and there's only one person in Eratusa that knows that her powers aren't working and that's to say and to say it wouldn't betray her trust like that and you know make her an easy target for people to find her right so the reason i'm saying all this and putting this backstory into it is simply that when these guards took yennefer you would have assumed they would have put her in the demeritium chains or something like the chains that allow it so you can't use magic kind of like how Rience was in the demeritium cell and couldn't use magic to get himself out of there so they knew who they were taking in right away and so usually it makes sense to me they've got to put her in some of those demeritium chains which you know they did to yennefer at the beginning of this season when Fringilla had her and they were walking with Nilfgaard, like the remainder of Nilfgaard back to the, that direction before they got taken captive by the elves, but she was in those Demeritarium chains. And so to me, the reason why I bring this up is because when she said those words to the Deathless Mother and the Witch in the Forest, she was in chains and then she disappeared from those chains. So either these guards didn't think to put her in Demeritarium chains or this witch is able to use magic that these Demeritarium chains couldn't stop. I mean, all I needed was like uh, something, like give me something, give me a, like a like a thought behind it. Just tell her, like, oh my, but my all she has to say is, you know, my power is too, you know, great for to be held by any sort of chains or something, dude. Like, all I'm saying is that you you led us to believe that there's things that can stop and block people from using magic. And they know this girl's a mage. They chain her up, knowing that she's a mage. So you would assume that they're using those type of chains that she couldn't use magic. But then she disappears when she says like the chant to the woman in the the, the old woman in the forest. So I don't know. That's just some an issue I have with it. Do you think the same way, or what do you what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I kind of wish. Uh, I mean, as cool it is as it is to see Yennefer kind of go after Siri. I think her path with Yaxir and everyone else, the journey could have been a little longer versus just the deathless woman or old lady, whatever you want to call her, just decides. Like, well, I, di- I disagree with you there just because, like, she has been without her magic this whole season. Like, we're past the halfway point. At this point, she's got to be getting desperate because she's been getting herself in a lot of situations that her magic could have got her out of. So she's got to be getting desperate at this point. So I don't feel like like that was a problem. Her going and deciding, okay, I got to figure out how I can get this back because I'm pretty much fucked if I don't. So I don't have an issue with that. I just have an issue with like how that wasn't explained on what like how she could get magicked out of magic restraining items. I guess I could say, or even assuming that they would put her in it. Then if they didn't put her in those, that's a weird thing too because you know she's a mage. Why wouldn't you put her in? the magic restraining handcuffs so i don't know man that's that's my thoughts on it just confused 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> it's kind of like a plot hole, because if she is looked at as the most powerful mage of all time. But still, I think it's kind of slow. <laughs> with her not having any magic for three episodes, but... Uh, but, however, I don't, like... I mean, it's just the way it came up. Like, I mean, I thought it was... My prediction for how I was thinking this would go would be eventually she finds her way to Siri through some reason versus just some old lady transforms herself. But I was okay with it. Like, I don't have any true big complaints. Really. Well, that I mean, honestly... I've seen a lot worse. It makes sense to me because... Like this, this old woman wants something. Like she was, she was imprisoned by all those witchers, and she even killed one of the very first witchers with that uh, ceremonial dagger. And that'll come up into play later on, you know, future episodes down the road for us here. But um, you know, so she, she is, she is very powerful, and you know, she knows that Cyril is the key to something, and that she's got this crazy bloodline, and she's got something. So, like, it makes sense that she was basically using it as a bargain tool, like, oh, you can get your magic back if you bring me this child, in a way. Like, you'll be able to find your magic once you do the X, Y, and Z. So, it was like her manipulating Yennefer into give, get, make, making Yennefer bring Soil to her, so that way she's now got, you know, you know as we see what happens later in the season, I'm not going to give anything yeah, away, but right. you know what I mean? So, like, that part I made sense. It. Yeah, that part made sense to me. I just didn't like the fact of the matter is either these guards didn't chain this person up in in magic resisting chains or they did and she still was able to get magic out of there by the old woman in the forest and we didn't get any explanation that's the only thing that bothered me to kind of put it short on that like with with that sort of situation between yennefer and the old witch in the forest like i feel like we were down for it because all the rest of the people talking about francesca and fringilla ended up giving in and in doing what the old woman wanted pretty early and Yennefer fought it as long as she could and then she finally saw like listen I, I can't I can't do it anymore like I got I've gotten captured so many times uh, like I, I, if I had my magic I wouldn't even be in this situation I need to make sure I can protect myself because like she's someone who felt desperate and needed to make a you know make a tough decision you know and we'll see kind of how that goes later on but those are just my my issues the the, the two main things i had with that the, the witcher mutagen working on the first try and like these magic handcuffs or not magic handcuffs situation i just went over so outside of that man i guess it'd be a good time to get into the debates i'll let you kick us off with our debates here since i, since I kind of just went on that little bit of a tangent uh let's go ahead and get started with it yeah i mean my debate is very similar to what i was talking about before with Siri and kind of wanting to become a witcher here right off the off the gate um, Give me one second here so my debate is Why do you think? So we can kind of see like the idea on how Geralt Sees Siri as as almost like a daughter right no more than just like a protector. I would say but Why do you think Geralt's do you think if Vesemir sat down with Geralt and truly tried to convince him to let Ciri become a witcher do you think he would be able to do it I don't think Vesemir alone could convince him I think it'd be like a collaboration of Vesemir Cirilla herself and maybe at this point definitely not Triss because Triss is really freaked out and like doesn't want anything to do with Cyril at this point 
But maybe, like, if another mage or someone important that could help her with her magical abilities was able to kind of convince him to. I think it would have to be a collaborative effort. So to answer your question, I don't think Vesemir could have convinced him alone. I think they would all have to. I just don't think, you know, I just don't think that's where her character arc goes, though. I just don't think it makes sense for her to become a witcher. Um, I, but uh, if you're just asking just, you know, to, to debate the topic itself, then I... I think he could be convinced. I don't think Vesemir alone would be the one that would convince him. Like I said, I think it would be a collaborative effort between a few people who are important in Geralt's life, like Vesemir, Cirilla, and maybe an, an outside mage who's close to Geralt or could show him the potential benefits and how it would be helpful going forward. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think deep inside... Um, I almost wonder myself if Geralt even appreciates the fact that he is a witcher. Like, I almost wonder if this whole time... Like, I think he likes the idea that he can protect people with the ability, but it makes you wonder if he ever even wanted to become a witcher, and this is just what they made him. And if he almost sees in Ciri what potentially he could have almost like not what he would have specifically been but almost a a life that he could have had if they didn't turn him so it makes me wonder that so i do think deep inside he would still be against it however it would have to take just like you said way more than vesemir it would have in my opinion i think it would have to be almost like on the brink of disaster like there would have to uh you know maybe like some monster crisis or something going on where basically like this is the difference like with series blood we would be able to change everything is what i think it would come down to i don't think i really doubt especially vesemir alone just like you said whatever you'd have a chance of convincing him but yeah and that was my only debate man so off to you i just want to i want to touch on that more time because i want to get your opinion on this too because i just thought about that in desperation mode though even saying like you know some big monster thing all the witchers alone couldn't take it and there was a threat of wiping out all the witchers and her blood could make more like that's still a process though you remember they come through him as mm-hmm. boys and they you know they still have to grow and learn and go through training so it's like it's not something that'd be a quick snap fix you know what i mean it would have to like you saw like, Geralt and all the other witchers were were children at one point and they grew into becoming witchers I and mean, obviously they were changed you know you know genetically with the mutagen and all that but they still had to go through the training and get to the point where they're at so like i still don't think it's like a quick snap fix even in desperation mode uh, I don't know, man. That's that's what I thought. I, I mean, I wouldn't think it was a snick, uh, quick snap fix either. I think it would have to come down to, say, you know, like things are happening all over the world or whatever's happening, right? And Geralt would have to come to the realization, just like he's almost come to now. Almost like, and trying not to make comparisons to Game of Thrones, but Tyrion talked to Daenerys... Daenerys and she didn't want to hear it but remember he was like any one of those arrows could have hit you in the heart and that would have been the end who would have taken over after you've taken the crown like who's going to be your successor same thing with Geralt like there's no witchers left so I think that's what it would come down to is you would have to have 
some major significant event where probably people die, that sort of thing. Maybe Geralt and only a few of the witchers are left. And it would have to be multiple people, not necessarily just witchers, but, you know, people that probably, you know, it probably would have to be someone like Yennefer or something along with that, that would have to convince him to the point of, you know, after you die, what's after this? Like for the people that are here, like you're so invested in protecting people and helping everyone out. You know, there's not going to be anything left. That's what I think it would come down to. So I think it would have to just like basically Geralt would wind up training those people too, or whoever is left at that point. But I think that's what it would come down to. I don't see him ever just letting Siri just decide to take the mantle on this and go for it. So, but then that way it kind of almost changes like what the big debate question is because the original debate question was like like would Vesemir be able to convince Geralt to let Cirilla become a Witcher? So I do believe that he can be convinced a lot less. Like it wouldn't take as much to convince Geralt to let them use Cirilla's blood. I definitely think that's that's doable. I don't think it takes much for that. Um, there's ways to create witches without Cirilla herself becoming one, right? Like I think that that is more likely and i think that's more um uh honestly uh, plausible to be quite frank is that you know that they'll use her blood to create more witchers doesn't mean that she herself has to become one so if you're doing on that if you're going on that premise it's completely different so because like the original question was like do i think that vestry could convince Geralt to let cirilla herself become a witcher i don't think that okay yeah yeah but yeah. like to, to create more witchers in in general yeah i honestly i I just don't see what the drawback would be. The only other, the only, the negative about that would be if her blood were to get in the wrong hands. And I don't want to foreshadow anything on that end, but that's the only like potential issue that you would have of needing to use, like you know, not wanting to use Cirilla's blood because you know they took it from her just fine, made the mutagen and they had it in the vial ready to go. The only, the only issue is, is that she wanted to be the first one. So that's the difference. Like, I, I think for sure that they could use her blood and create more, and it wouldn't take that much convincing. But if we're talking about Cirilla herself becoming one, I think that would take a hell of a lot of convincing. So that's my, my thought, my overall takeaway on that as a, in a vacuum, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Before I send it over to you, just to clear that up, what I was basically saying is if Cirilla was going to make this, like, the end-all be-all, like, she wasn't going to give them their blood to use unless she becomes the first one, Basically, I would think they would have to do some major convincing to Geralt and something significant would happen to let her become a witcher and then they would use her blood for the other ones to follow. I just don't think that's where it's going to head, though. I don't think that she's going to want to become a witcher after like her where her character arc's going. I think that was like a snap rush decision as like an impulsive thing there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to be like her... her uh, you know, leverage forever. I don't think she's going to be like, okay, but remember what I said. <laughs> like, I'm just, you still got to use it on me first. Like, you know, I, I still think that what will end up happening is she's going to realize that she's very powerful how she is. She's going to learn how to harness her abilities and realize that she doesn't need to become a witcher, but that her blood can still create more. And then, you know, she won't have that stipulation that to use her blood, she must become the first witcher. I don't, I think that stipulation will go away. I think that won't be uh, something that she demands uh, for her blood to be used. That's that's what I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I just couldn't see... Uh, I, I feel like if you did that, it would basically destroy the entire 
character arc <laughs> that you're developing, even between Geralt and her at this point. I mean, you could try to make the argument maybe it'll be better with her being a witcher because Geralt will be able to relate to her more, but I don't think that that's the case at all. So I agree with you. But yeah, I'll turn it over to you, man. What debates do you have? Yeah, my, my debate here is, is talking a little bit about these monoliths, right? Because we had the conversation between Eastrid and Geralt about how these uh, may not have been the the main points of energy. They may have been the conduits, you know, talking about how the spheres collided instead of merging. They collided and separated, but the monoliths are like the, like the communicating point. My question to you is like, what role do you think these monoliths play going forward with all these different spheres where these monsters are coming from? Because what Geralt was saying, like these monsters aren't new. They're just new to us here in this plane because they're coming through a monolith that was cracked and broken by Ciri. So what role do you think these monoliths are going to play and in, in, in how do you think it, it goes specifically with, with these? And do you think any part of it if, of maybe going towards the end of the storyline and its totality is going to be having to figure out a way to block things coming through monoliths like what do you think is the is the key here or what do you think the role of the monoliths play in this story going forward i think it could be um maybe much later down the road in the seasons that I feel like this would kind of be a cop-out, though, if you did that. Like, maybe the reason all these monsters are coming through is because uh, people from the temple or wh- whoever is from, these mages, uh, maybe they, maybe there's a society that secretly developed them on purpose to keep bringing the monsters through because maybe they're, you know, maybe secretly trying to take over or whatever is going on with that. But I feel like that's kind of a cop-out in a way. But to me, what I think the monoliths are, since we're talking about them being conduits, right now I really just see them as almost like magnetic portals. Like it's drawing the monsters in to wherever these people are at based on where that is. Almost like... um, giving an example of Mandalorian remember when Grogu was on top of that Jedi mountain like trying to reach out to Luke like similar to that but instead it's drawing them into these areas so it draws the question of who developed these monoliths whether they were developed years ago and are almost like ancient ruins like elves then you want to know who's harnessing them and who's actually using it to channel their energy there like portals or are they still being developed, which is a big problem. But right now, I really just see them as almost like portals. Like there's a instrument we'll get into next week that's used that I see a little bit of the same way. What about you? So I think these monoliths are actually pretty important. Uh, and like I, I, I think that they are a kind of gateway to these other spheres that they're talking about. And that's just evidence, and that's not even like a big crazy prediction. I think that's pretty like you know self-explanatory from how the monsters, like the Myriapod and the Leshy that had the stellocyte fragments, came through the monolith that Siri cracked and came after her because she cracked the monolith and she opened like the gateway between spheres. So for me, I think it goes like one of two ways. I either think that they need to rebuild broken monoliths to kind of keep 
all these monsters from their sphere because basically what this conjunction is what or at least my interpretation of it from what they what Eastridge and Garrett were talking about is this conjunction was very similar to like a like the big bang theory in a way like these molecules just exploded and then it came you know earth and all these other you know planets came from that big explosion and so it's kind of like similar to that too all these spheres instead of like what the original thought was like the conjunction was all collided and became one big you know world where in actuality what you should is saying is like instead of doing that these spheres collided they they hit and then they they separated but now they, these monoliths that were, were left there are now these kind of gateways to the other spheres where you know these people are living in their own or these monsters or these creatures are living in their own little worlds and now they can come through that that mono that monolith is cracked and broken that get what gateway is like that gateway is broken down and they can kind of come through so I think it, it kind of goes one of two ways. Either they need to rebuild these monoliths to keep the monsters out, or they need to destroy all the monoliths in their entirety, like all the ones that are created all throughout there. So um, the thing is, if they destroyed that, things could come in through all there. So I don't know. It, it could. I think that's what's going to end up happening. I think uh, the, these monoliths are going to play a big role into uh, an all-out like I don't want to say intergalactic because that's kind of an exaggerative term, but like where an all-out war between all these monsters coming in from other spheres coming into this world here, and them having to like defend it and kind of you know either like I said either rebuild them all or break them all, and so that way they can't go back through or you know if they you know, I guess they could go back through because it's still a gateway that's broken. So I don't know. I think I think monoliths are going to play a big role in like having. The, the introduction of other creatures from other dimensions and that uh, we're gonna something's gonna have to happen where they've got to stop the ability for them to come through whether that be rebuilding monoliths you know making some sort of spell that you know makes them no longer the conduits where it's not a gateway anymore and then destroying them from there I think it's gonna have to go into something like that because as it stands right now one broken monolith, we've got a bunch of monsters coming through that one, and then I'm not going to give anything away, but there's another monolith that comes into play, you know, towards the end of the season as well, and, and we see start seeing stuff happen with that there. So that's my thoughts. Now, those are my thoughts on it. I don't know if you want to touch on what, what I said or not. but Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. I mean, it could be. I mean, we really don't have any sort of backstory or anything on them, though. Like, I, my only thing I would say is, it's kind of disappointing in a way because I kind of looked at like the monsters here. This was just like my own personal idea, almost like Game of Thrones or Harry Potter or anything like the creatures are just there, like in that world. Like, I don't want to think of them like coming from space or from intergalactical dimension because that's how they got there. Like, I just think it's cool to think like these creatures exist like animals, you know, like they're just bred and, and live out in the world i don't know what are your what are your thoughts do you think it's cooler that they just come from different worlds or something well i mean we know that not all of them come through other like the the dimensions and worlds or universes because what did they they talk about when they were speaking about how vesemir was telling cirilla where mages almost ruined the world because mages created monsters and so there are some that are there just in that world alone but then there's the ones with these different mutations that we don't, didn't understand before the monoliths. 
That like that was the biggest thing. That's why they went to go visit the monolith because the myriapod came through had the stellocyte fragments. The leshy that uh, mutated and turned Eskel into a leshy came through that monolith, and it was different. So these monsters have already been around, but um, there's these mu- the, the mutations of them or different ones that they haven't seen before are coming from different dimensions. So there's still monsters just on that plane alone because the mages created them. And they've got it. Like the witches are there to kind of kill the monsters to stop them from hurting other people. So, like right now, to me, I think it's a mixture of both. Like they are, there are regular monsters just found on that planet or you know world alone, and then these other ones are just the mutated ones. They haven't had a like a because none none of these came to pass. None of them came like these new mutated monsters came through until the first monolith was broken. And that's when, you know, so they already knew monsters existed before that first monolith was broken. And I think that's the key right there is that there are monsters, you know, so you don't have to worry about it. There are monsters on this planet alone <laughs> by themselves, so they do exist. Um, but they were all created by mages anyways, uh, the, the monsters on, in this world. Now, the ones that are not from this world, who knows how those were created, you know, what goes on in their home planets. But, um, I, yeah, there, there are ones that are just here in the world of Geralt and... Vesemir and Cirilla and Yennefer, they're, they're regular monsters there, so that's all I have to say. Cool, man. Awesome. Yeah, you want to close this out for today? Yeah, sure do. I kind of, but I can say that wraps us up here. We've only got, you know, three more episodes remaining. That would be episode six, episode seven, and episode eight. Uh, so next week we'll cover uh, season two, episode six. Go through that a little bit. Super exciting there. Uh, some really cool things happen. We get, we get a monster that really it looks pretty cool we, we touched on it very very briefly here it flew through there but we get to kind of see it in action and we kind of see what it looks like and you know how much of a problem it can or won't cause so i'm excited to kind of go into that there and now there's other big parts of the storyline that get touched on as well and so that's that'll be really exciting for next week but uh you know for today guys it's been an absolute pleasure bringing this to you this was your first episode watching chase and josh factor fantasy number one we hope you enjoyed it Number two, go ahead and click subscribe, like, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us some star reviews on Spotify now as well. They allowed that. And, you know, you can really find us uh, on any sort of social media platform. We're everywhere. So if you haven't done so yet, please go ahead and give us a follow on our Instagram at Official Ridiculous Patronus, uh, on TikTok as well at Ridiculous Patronus. We got backup sites at uh, Fact underscore or underscore fantasy for Instagram. Same thing for the backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We have our own uh, website at ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We got our Facebook fan page at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We got Twitter RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy. Uh, so wherever you guys are on social media, we're there as well. So we'd love to kind of get that uh, audience engagement, the fan interaction. We really enjoy that. So go ahead and, and follow us along there and, you know, Go ahead and communicate your thoughts uh, on what you what you hear here today and the other episodes that you may enjoy as well. So uh, from there, if you want to listen to our podcast as well, you can find us anywhere that you do get your podcasts. If you're an iPhone user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you're an Android user, we're on Google Play, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Audible, <laughs> Acast, Stitcher. Like I said, wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. But we are out for the day because, you know, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. off.